Have you heard the story of the, the businessman who was on holiday in Brazil? So he was sitting by the beach, and as he sat, he, he saw a local fisherman coming back into the shore with a daily catch. So the businessman asked the local fisherman, how long does it take you to catch so many fish? All said the fisherman, just a short while. Then why don't you stay longer at sea and catch even more, the businessman asked. Well, said the fisherman, there's enough to feed my whole family here. So, so what do you do for the rest of the day, the businessman replied. Well, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea, catch a few fish, go back, play with my kids. In the afternoon, I spend time with my wife. Evening comes, I join my village for a drink. We play guitar, sing, and dance all throughout the night. The businessman heard that. He he felt the need to offer some advice. He said, listen, I've got an MBA and a PhD in business management. Let me tell you what you should do if you want to become a more successful, satisfied, secure individual. The fisherman was all ears. From now on, you should spend more time at sea and try to catch as many fish as possible. Why would I do that? Asked the fisherman. Well, you can come back to shore, sell what you don't need. Over time, you'll have enough money to buy an even bigger boat. Then you can catch even more fish, and then soon you'll have enough money to be in charge of a whole fleet of boats. And if you keep reinvesting your profits, then you'll be able to have so many people working for you. Then you can start a factory, sell your produce all over the world, and then you can float your company on the stock market. And so the local fisherman asked him, so what shall I do after that? And the businessman said, well, you could retire by a little village by the sea. You could wake up early, catch a few fish for your family. Then you can go home, play with your kids, spend the afternoon with your wife. When evening comes, you can join your buddies, have a drink, play the guitar, sing, and dance throughout the night. The fisherman was puzzled. Is that, isn't that what I'm doing right now? That story asks us this question. What is it you're working for? What is it you're living for? Many of us spend a great deal of time, money, energy, searching, striving in life for things such as satisfaction, security, success, significance, and so on. And we're all different people, and we look for these different realities in different places. Some of us will look for these realities in our careers. Some of us will look for these realities in our educational attainments. Others of us will look for these realities in our relationships. Maybe it's with our spouse, partner, children, parents, boss, peers. And still others of us will look for these realities in our appearance, our possessions, maybe even our hobbies. I don't know what you're working for, living for. But what I do know from this passage that is before us is that it went for people to be working for the wrong thing, going about it in in completely the wrong way. In the passage before us, the crowds were following Jesus. They had souls that were longing, yearning for satisfaction and security, but they couldn't find what they were looking for. 
because they were looking for it in the wrong thing and in the wrong way. Now, just before we dive in and, and work through our passage, let me just bring you up to speed if you've not been here. We're doing a series in John's Gospel. We are now in chapter 6 at verse 22. Our last two messages looked at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 21. In those verses, Jesus has just fed the multitude on the mountainside miraculously. He took a little boy's pack lunch and he fed thousands upon thousands. After the the meal that Jesus provided, the crowds looked at Jesus and said, you must be the prophet sent from God. And the response was they wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. But Jesus escaped them, went up the mountain to pray. And he sent his disciples away in the boat to go to the other side. Whilst Jesus was on the top of the mountain praying, hours passed. And he looked down from the mountain, and there in the middle of the lake were his disciples straining at the oars. So Jesus walked down the mountain, walked across the water, appeared to his disciples, and said, It is I. Do not be afraid. He revealed to them that he is the great I am, God, the one who tramples on the waters. And he took them safely to the shore. We pick things up in verse 22 this morning, and it opens with these words, on the next day. On the next day after the the crowds have been fed, on the next day after the disciples have reached the other side, we read that the crowds that remained We're looking for Jesus. That's verses 22 through verse 24. And the one head scratcher was they'd they'd see boat leave with the disciples. Jesus wasn't in it. And they make this search of the area, but they can't find Jesus. Now, some other boats come into the shore. And so they conclude somehow, some way, Jesus has gone to the other side. So they get on the boats and they go to the other side, to Capernaum. And John tells us, They were seeking Jesus. At first that might sound good. They were seeking Jesus. But they were seeking him for the wrong thing, for the wrong reasons. They wanted from him food because their stomachs were starving. Even though they'd been fed the previous day, like all of us, we eat a good meal, but the next day we feel hunger again. They were seeking Jesus for the wrong thing because Jesus had come into this world to offer that which is not perishable, but that which is imperishable. They were looking for temporary satisfaction. Jesus had come to offer eternal satisfaction. So we're going to look at verses 25 through 27 under the heading, Starving Stomachs. And what we're going to see is that in this conversation that Jesus is going to have with the crowds as they they come to him, Each time they ask, the crowds ask Jesus a question, it's going to reveal their faulty thinking. So look at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now this is a leading question. They were curious, how did Jesus manage to cross so quickly to the other side, given the fact that he did not leave on the only boat with his disciples? Now just think about it for a moment. Jesus could have, at this moment, told them what he'd just done. He'd walked down the mountain, walked across the sea, rescued his disciples, brought them safely to their side. But he didn't. 
Instead, Jesus, in heeding their question, knows that this isn't the real question. In fact, Jesus cuts to the heart of the matter, which is the matter of their hearts. Look at his response. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So the crowds weren't seeking Jesus because they saw the sign that he'd performed in the day previously, concluded that he was the Messiah, wanted to believe in him. No, they misunderstood the sign and they were seeking him because they knew from Jesus they could get food. And they were hungry again. They also did not understand about Jesus, what we've been learning about Jesus as we've been working through this gospel. He knew them better than they knew themselves. That's why he asked this question. That's why he responded in this way to their question. He knew exactly what they were seeking from him. He knew the real reason. He understood the the motive that they'd come seeking him. Now, Jesus here exposes to them the truth of the situation, the truth of their hearts. These people are spiritually superficial. They don't want him for who he is and for what he's come to do. They just want their basic desires met. They just want food. They've got starving stomachs. And based on the previous day's experience, Jesus can give them the food they need. But they had failed entirely to see the significance of the sign that Jesus had come into this world, not to meet their physical desires, but ultimately to meet their spiritual desires. Now, just before we get to judgment of the crowd. In many ways, we can just be like the crowd. Without knowing it, we can spend most of our lives living for that which is physical, thinking that it's the be-all and end-all, getting consumed with the material, and forgetting entirely about the spiritual, the eternal. Focusing on the things that perish, whilst forgetting to ever give any attention to that which cannot perish. They were seeking the wrong thing. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father, has set his seal. Jesus says to them here, you're seeking the wrong thing. Now, this is what I love about Jesus, right? He brilliantly exposes to them what they don't know about themselves. You see, they've got a physical hunger, but they don't know and understand that underneath that is a spiritual hunger, a spiritual need. They've got starving stomachs, that's what they're aware of, but they don't know that really underneath that they've got starving souls. Now, as we work through this passage... We're going to see so many striking similarities with Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Remember when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well back in John chapter 4? In verse uh, 
14, I think he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, and whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you remember what Jesus does with the woman at the well? He uses the physical water that she has to keep on coming back to day after day to draw from to expose to her need for spiritual water, the water that Jesus brings, the water of life, the water that wells up to eternal life. The water of this world, Jesus says in essence to the woman at the well, cannot satisfy, cannot provide permanent satisfaction. Jesus brings the water that does. And here's Jesus once again persuading, this time, the crowd of the very same thing. The thing that you're seeking, it won't satisfy you. You need to lift your eyes up and see what will satisfy you. Eternal life. Eternal satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we come to verse 28. We're going to look at it under the heading, Satisfied Souls. Now, it's our second question that reveals to us that they were looking to satisfy their souls or their stomachs in life in the wrong way. Look at verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So the first question revealed that they were looking for the wrong thing, but here their second question reveals that they were trusting in the wrong person. What must we do? They were trusting not in Jesus, but in themselves. They thought that the way to obtain that which they were looking for, ultimately to obtain salvation, it was all dependent on what they had to do. They needed to look to themselves. And, and, and this is a mistake that fallen humanity constantly makes. We look to ourselves instead of looking to Jesus. All of the, the, all of the other world religions offer a system that says it's all about what you do. Christianity stands unique and apart because it's all about what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. The reason the crowds couldn't see it is that we're trusting in themselves. They were looking to themselves. And here's Jesus standing in front of them and He is the one who's the answer to what they're looking for. Look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. This is what you need to do. Believe in him whom he has sent. You know what the crowds wanted to hear Jesus say? Obey these laws. Earn it. Merit it. But instead, Jesus says, this is what you need to do. You need to believe In him who God the Father has sent. Meaning, you need to trust him, and that is an acknowledgement that you are not the source of salvation. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. It is found outside of you in the Lord Jesus Christ. The way to have a satisfied soul is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As we move from this verse, we, we, we come to verse 30, and we're going to see the significance of the sign from verse 30 through 35. The crowds have another question for Jesus. And this question reveals that they are not satisfied with the sign that Jesus performed on the previous day. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now we might not hear this, feel this, but this is the most arrogant and insulting question they could ever ask. What sign will we do so we can believe in you? Jesus the day before had just miraculously fed them from a little boy's packed lunch. Jesus didn't need to prove his credentials. He'd been performing sign after sign. The real problem with these men and women, and it's also the problem that you and I have, is we have insatiable desires for physical things, material things, and even spiritual things. Sometimes we're never satisfied because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking at the wrong person. Jesus has given them enough evidence. He's proven beyond all reasonable doubt that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. The proof is staring them in the face, and yet they've got the audacity to ask Jesus for more signs. Now, this is what I love about Jesus. He's utterly gracious. And he uses their slow pace of processing to utter another statement that will unpack the meaning of who he is. Now, do you notice what they, they, they say to him when they ask him to perform another sign? They say to him, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're, they're going back to Moses and they're saying, remember what Moses did? He fed the people bread every day. Come on, Jesus. You can do that. Now, now we've been seeing this as we've been studying John chapter 6. In their mindset, Moses was greater than Jesus. Moses was the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Now, there's one thing that the crowds were right to do, was to see a connection between Jesus and Moses. In the Old Testament, Moses is the mediator between God and his people. But what these crowds had not, the crowd had not yet come to appreciate was the difference between Moses and Jesus. They failed to understand that Jesus was far greater than Moses. They were urging Jesus to do the same thing that Moses did, partly because they didn't actually appreciate what Moses did, and they did not appreciate who Jesus was. See, they say, under Moses, the people were given bread. But who gave them the, who gave the bread to the people? Look at what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 32, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Who, who gave the people the bread? Jesus says, my father. And don't miss them, my father. He's revealing his identity. He's the son. The one whom God has set his seal upon. You know, the the writer of Hebrews, understanding that Jews always will esteem Moses, see him as so significant, the writer of Hebrews says this. Moses was a servant, but Jesus has been counted of worthy of more glory than Moses. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And if we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. 
The writer of Hebrews reveals that Jesus is so much greater than Moses. And this is what the crowd did not appreciate. Now, now, see if you go back to verse 32, there's something that Jesus says that's significant. He says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, past tense. But my father gives you, present tense, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You know the word there for life? It doesn't just mean eternal life, meaning the, the quantity of time. It refers there to the quality of life. Jesus is the bread from heaven, the one the Father has given. He is the one who offers life in its abundance. He's the one who can satisfy every starving soul. He's the bread of heaven. In other words, he's been saying to these people, you're looking for the wrong thing in the wrong way. And, and, and you still don't understand who I am. And Jesus is saying, it's all about me. Now, brothers and sisters, we need to press pause here for just a moment. Because even as Christians, I would posit that some of our problems in our Christian life, when it comes to having our soul satisfied in Jesus, is, is we even come to him in the wrong way. It's all about him. He's far greater than Moses. He's far greater because he's the great I am. He's God. And yet you and I can come to Jesus. And what we often come to Jesus with is our physical, material longings. And even when we come with our spiritual longings, we want him just to do something for us in that moment. Give us a sign. Fulfill my desires. And, 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 and don't mishear me. Jesus delights to give us what we need. But he's the one we need. Him and him alone. He's the bread from heaven. He's the one we need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are all those who find refuge in him. He's the true bread of heaven who gives life to this world. Now look at the response. Verse 34. Sir, give us this bread always. And if you read that response and you remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, that's the exact same response. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. And here Jesus says, here's the significance of the sign. Here's the reason why I fed the multitude. Here's the reason I fed you the day before. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Verse 35. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. this This is where it This is where it gets beautiful. Jesus here shows that he is the one who can ultimately satisfy the crowds. This is actually the first I am saying. First of seven great I am sayings in John's gospel. The message is clear. If you want to find your soul satisfaction, it is found in Jesus, the bread of life. Now, you hear bread and and Jesus calling himself the bread of life and it didn't really resonate with us in the 21st century. But you know in the ancient world, especially in the 1st century as well, you know what you lived for? You know what you worked for? Make money so you could buy bread. Man couldn't live without bread, physically. Without bread, you died. It was the staple diet of everyone. And Jesus is using this I am the bread of life because he's saying I am essential to true life, to eternal life, to spiritual life. 
I'm the one in whom you will find your soul's satisfaction. Now, verses 37 to 40, Jesus also shows that not only is he the one who brings about ultimate, permanent, lasting satisfaction, he's also the one who brings about eternal security. Look at what he says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. One of the things you see in John's Gospel is that there's this unbreakable bond between the will of God the Father and the will of God the Son. The Father and the Son are at one. And before God created the world, we read about this promise, this covenant, the covenant of redemption, where the Father and the Son promised to bring about salvation for their people. So if you've ever had a suspicion, right, that the Father's stern and Jesus is the kinder one who, who wins us back so the Father will love us, you've got it all wrong. The Father and the Son, before the foundation of the earth, committed that they were going to rescue the people, rescue people for themselves. And the Son here says, I will accomplish the Father's will. All that the Father gives to the Son, he who comes to him, he'll never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus here saying, not only do I give people ultimate satisfaction, but I give people ultimate security. You come to Jesus, he'll never turn you away, and he'll never lose you. Now, let me just try and apply both of these points. First, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. This passage calls you to come. Come to Jesus. Come to find what your soul is truly longing for, yearning for. Everything you're working for, living for in this world. The status, the success, the significance, the satisfaction, the security. Listen, all of them are just little pointers to the fact that all that you're truly looking for is spiritual. And it is found in Jesus. Come to Jesus and he will in no way cast you away. But if you're a Christian, let me apply this to you and I as well. Like, let's be honest for a moment. We live in a sinful world. And we've come to Christ. We've believed in Christ. You're so satisfied in Christ. The answer to that objectively is yes. But subjectively in your experience, sometimes you don't feel satisfied and It's the reason why you go looking for spiritual junk food all week. And you look for that which you think will satisfy you in all the wrong places and in all the wrong ways, thinking that it will give you what you're longing for, but it never does. And so you want more and more and more. And yet the one that you're looking for is Jesus. And you know the glorious invitation of this morning is we're going to have communion and we're going to eat bread. And he's going to remind us this day. You find satisfaction in me. My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Forgiveness of sins. Life eternal. Life in its abundance. Redemption of body and soul. Hope of eternal life in the new creation. This is what you're living for. Him. 
And the other fact is that, do you feel secure as a Christian? We look at our own lives, and subjectively, we don't. We're half-hearted, we're lukewarm. If we looked at our commitment to Jesus, and our faithfulness to Jesus, we'd say, well, I'm not as committed as I ought to be. In fact, most of my life, I'm faithless. But here's the incredible thing. Salvation's not on our terms, it's on his terms. It's not about what we do, it's what he's done. And it's his commitment to us. And his commitment to us is rock-solid secure because it's founded in the eternal covenant before he laid the foundation of the earth. And you want to know how committed and faithful God is to you and I to keep you and I to the end in his son? Look at the cross. It was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was the steadfast, unfailing, undying love of the Savior. You are secure in Him forever. Because He loves you. And his delight and his desire is that you would seek all satisfaction in him. That we would take the time to enjoy him. That we would come seeking him. And our problem is that so often we get an opportunity to just come to Jesus and seek him and spend time with him. And our sinful hearts, they want to settle for less. Jesus, just quickly bless me. Jesus, just fix this situation in my life for me. Jesus says, no, I want you to have me. I'm the one that your soul is starving for. Now here's the beauty of the gospel. If you have it, you'll never lose it. It's this settled, sealed will of God. Nothing can separate us from our Savior. You see the significance of the sign. It's all about what he has done. It's all about who he is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we have to confess that Even this morning, we began the service with a call to worship. You calling us to come. To come and drink. To come and eat without money, without price. To come and find bread, which we did not labor for. To come and not give ourselves to things that won't satisfy, but to give ourselves to you who satisfies because of your eternal covenant of love. And so as we've come this morning, we we come now and we, we come as those who are hungry and starving and we thank you that your perfect providence has it that this morning we both feed on you and your word and we will feed on you in this sacrament. We pray that you would nourish our souls. We pray that you would remind us of the objective truth that we are satisfied, our souls are satisfied in you. We are secure in you. The status, the significance of success, it's the status of who you are. It's the significance of who you are and who we've become as your treasured possession and as your people. And the success is the success and the victory of your salvation.
It is finished. It has been done. And so all we need to do is believe. God, thank you so much for showing us this morning what it is we ought to be living for. Help us as we go into this week to live for you. For we ask all of this in your son's glorious name. Amen.